Welcome to the Double D Do Business Podcast by RLC with your hosts, Dave Evans and Debbie Halls Evans, where they meet each week with guests and discover ways you can help yourself and others become best version businesses, teams, and people. Welcome to WD Do Business. Yeah, that's right. That went a bit uh, squiffy. And I'm here with Debbie Halls Evans. And I am, of course, Dave Evans. I shouldn't have said, of course. But if you've no. listened to us before, you'd know if you haven't. Hello, I'm Dave Evans. We have one of my favorite leaders in the whole world with us today. Uh, a, a lady who I think who strives for change, strives for cause. Uh, super excited to have us with us, Dr. Lee Vellens. So, hi, Doctor. Hi. And today's chat, uh, and I know we did our little preamble a moment ago, but was um, me <laughs> attempting to explain to Lee what I'd love us to debate and discuss. And it was the, the polarization of change. And also, is 2020 the year that we are going to embrace and do something about change? Is it generational? Is it driven by Brexit politics? Is it driven by COVID? Is it driven by uh, racism? And us actually realizing we've got to do something about it. So I think we know it's a very complex topic and we we'll probably could talk about it for several hours. So we're going to summarize it. We may hit some political um, elements, which we're going to embrace because we think it's really important. And the, th the thing about political viewpoint, assuming we do um, scrape past a yeah. couple of those, you're entitled to retain your political view. You've got to learn to recognize when your view is in the way of a common sense conversation. So some of the great politics of our, of our generations gone by, the past history is what I meant to say, is, is we, it's, it, the great work's done somewhere in the middle ground. So you've got to know when to step away from your political view. And I believe, Dr. Lee, that we'll, we're going through a period of time that is a symbol of the world is thirsty for change. Now, Short fact, I was doing a search uh, earlier on on the trusting Wikipedia and uh, Wiki, and I was looking at all the rebellions and revolutions that have happened, and it goes right the way back to Star of Mankind. There are hundreds of them. I mean, literally hundreds of thousands. thousands, yeah. And some that you'd never would have even heard of where humans in their country, in their backyard, or garden, if you're in the US, listen to this, uh, you know, I've, I've been thirsty for change. When, they've, when, when society says, I've had enough. And I think we're in one of those places at the moment. What do you think, uh, Lee? I think we are in one of those places. And I think things have become polarized and people are um, picking their side and choosing um, not to sit back and not do anything anymore. Um, people are, are voicing their concerns and, and are articulating what they want the future to be and they want to leave behind hatred and conflict and they want to leave behind top-down decision-making and move forward in, in a more collaborative and supportive and, and healthy and global viewpoint politics and way of doing things. And I think one of the things for me, which is really interesting about change, just as a topic, is that I think we're told we can only change once, but I see it as this constant movement. So one of the things I get from a very personal perspective is 
the more I learn about a topic, I will go from one to another to another to, and I'll keep moving until I've really absorbed as much information as possible. So I, I, I feel it's definitive. I'll talk to as many people as possible who are specialists. I'll speak to the generalists. I'll speak to, for me, change has got to be this, this movement. It can't be, I'm stoic, I'm staying in the middle. I'm never going to move from a decision because that's, that's where we've been. That's why things haven't changed. That's why we've got systemic racism. That's why we've got issues of us living divided lives. You know, I think it's, it's change is not static, is it? It's dynamic. And, and it, it matures and you have to respond to the environment that you're in. So had we not been able to change and respond to uh, a global pandemic, um, even more people would have died. And, and goodness me, we've managed to, to lose enough people uh, to COVID-19. And we, we had to just throw everything out of the window, everything that we knew, and just deal with, with what was in front of us, which meant change. And sometimes that meant change um, through the day. You could make a decision in the morning that you had to flip and, yeah. and make a completely different decision by lunchtime. And that's how quickly you had to move um, to do the right thing and, and mobilize uh, and just address what was in front of you. So it, it, you do have to change all of the time. It, it can't be static. But I, I can only speak from my personal opinion. I was told that once you made a decision, this was my, me growing up, was that's it, you don't change. You are the same person. You're, and I, and I've, I know on a very personal level that I change dramatically. You know, year in, year out, you know, how my relationship with ageing, all of that stuff as a parent, as a spouse, as an employee and an employer. So I think it's really important that we do see it as something incredibly dynamic and and i also think what it does is we've been very boundaried in our changes you know we've, we've been told that example you've just given is, is amazing because we we say we can't do change we just can't do it we're scared of it but we did it within 48 hours of covid knowing that this historic event was upon us and it was going to devastate the human population and it's been horrific and the, comp the company examples, Debbie, of, of companies who'd never considered working from home, who then did. I remember speaking to uh, one, one of our old uh, friends who owns a company in Manchester, and we'd seen these huge corporate companies taking their office equipment home and getting ready mm -hmm. to work that out. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, how are you going to work this through? And they'd already done it. They'd already made the change. This, this other company, they'd already said, no, we're, 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 we've been at home all week. And they, they were way before the government uh, notification. But I think we've, we've got to take a little bit of a look back because there, there are several brilliant examples since 2017, I think it was 17, where starting with the Scottish referendum, then Brexit, there's been so much baloney talked about from, in, from all walks of society. Um, you know, let, let's take Brexit for a minute. That this, uh, I think we in the preamble we talked about this tyranny of Europe, right? This perception internally and, and us ignoring the detail of our past. You know, slavery is closely linked to the British Empire. And, it is. And yet, and, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, it is, yeah. And yet, we look at the issues in America. Yes, we feel them. Yes, we relate to them. Yes, we've got our own issues in Britain of exactly the same nature and style. Yet, it still feels like you look across there sometimes and think, this is more of an American thing, but it isn't. It's a global thing. 
So does that mean, sorry, my brain's now in hyperdrive, Lee. Does that mean that change drives blame? So it's because I don't want to change or I'm fearful of change. And I think the Brexit discussion was really good, was around, is it that it's easier to blame than change? I think people know things have to change, but I think people who are afraid of change will hark back to um, a, a previous era. And it's always like, it, things were always better in the past. No, they weren't. And um, they, they hang on to those things that they think were, were wonderful and, and amazing. And they don't want to get into the, the um, complexities and the challenging thought processes. They want, um, I've had enough of this now. I want to go back to the way it was. Um, yeah. Oversimplified messages uh, were sold to people who, who swallowed them hook, line and sinker. Yeah. And then on the other side, you've got people who, who want change and are not afraid of change and are willing to be open and embrace whatever's coming our way and to do that in, in a very collective way. Um, we're not, although we are physically an island, we're not mentally an island and we've always connected with other people. I mean, for heaven's sake, we're, we're, we were invaded by every, by the Vikings, by the Romans. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're very much a, a multicultural um, community, but we hang on to our sense of um, imperialism and, and superiority um, and forget that we're a, a tiddly little place that um, needs to work with others. We, we, we don't need the world. We need to work in partnership with the world. That's, that's a great perspective, isn't it? A partnership with the world. And that, that's a mindset in itself that how, how do you would change Debbie how do you change your mindset to see that way I also think change as a word gets such a hard time you see the, the wiki search was about rebellion and revolution right mm. no, none of it said about change it talked about because it, it's, it's much easier I think if you're going because back the negative connotation yeah. of it uh, so and change stimulates because it's a doing word it, it stimulates human human emotional uh, perspectives rather than maybe a bit of common sense or a bit of tactility or consideration so i think we've, we've all got to take a responsibility in our own lives we, we wrote a blog this morning about um what one of the, the considerations that i've had we, we were debating very early today weren't we about the the how far does this black life matters go and we were looking at it from a really honest perspective of rlc's dna around the world and you know from the the color of our team, the diversity of our team. And uh, we then went into our club. We had a really personal conversation about our client range and what are we not doing? And I'm obsessed by the fact Lee, we felt like we should be doing more ourselves, which is where this starts. And we were talking about the RO factor to do with COVID. And it does teach us a lesson of how you start movements. Because if you flip that lesson of the one equals three, the RO equals three, we're not going to do the math pyramids, Lee, right? But if we can all go if one equals three. It's the influence and impact yeah, it, it actually is. creates. And it, it's, you know, somebody described it the other day, which I thought was really interesting as dominoes. You know, it only yeah. takes one domino to knock all the other dominoes down. And then I, and I think how, it, you know. You have to it, choose to be a domino. Yeah, and to be a sea change as a positive connotation. I think the other thing for me is really interesting is, and I think it's because we've got uh, younger children as well, between 30 and 18 is, is it a generational aspect as well? Is there some part of our generations as we're now aging, we age for longer, we live for longer, et cetera. But is this younger generation got 
an opportunity that maybe we didn't have or that we can do something and how do we support them because that's another really big thing for me is our education system this one Lee, i could go on for hours um, but our education system and how we actually talk use our language how do we um, you know the historics you could speak to some children they don't know any of the history they don't understand the history so then th that lack of history yeah. means that i don't understand why you know my one of my daughters actually said to me well it's you know it's pretty recent this this racism thing isn't it? i went no it's been going on for nearly 400 odd years it's not and, and i think that scares me a little bit as well but also it brings me joy to think that that generation could be the one that fundamental pushes us into something we've got to deal with mm. it's it's really um such a complex area but i think it is multi-generational but also it comes in waves because it's exhausting mm. racism is exhausting so my partner is mixed race and we had this discussion no doubt similar to yours this weekend where our grandchildren are very angry and um, recognize what's going on and the importance of it uh, but my partner was heartbroken because it brought back memories of, of childhood of not understanding why nobody wanted to sit next to you in class it's because you were black yeah. why nobody wanted to play with you um, in team sports it's because you were black and that nobody wanted to walk with you on the easter parade because you were black and that hurt Makes you want to cry, actually. It, it actually really hits me. Yeah. Back. And so to be able to have that honest discussion uh, that you would never have had, never would have had with the grandchildren, had it not been for this, because, it, you know, you don't want to see someone who's approaching 70 in tears about racism that they've suffered throughout their lives. So sometimes you put it away to be able to, in order just to be able to get on with your life. And then incidents like this, bring it to the surface and it needs to come to the surface and we do need that anger and we need to to address it and, and push forward on it and, and acknowledge it and call it out wherever we see it so it is multi-generational but it does tend to be the younger generation who have the energy um and the will to to really keep pushing it until we do something um more this this is this is so important though that you know many years ago i heard a story about the healing of wounds and the difference between a wound that heals properly even with a scar right so the scar can be there but the actual wound tissue doesn't fully heal and, and it's due to how it's just not being looked after properly it's not being given the time to have the right air the right treatment and a lot of these things haven't have they they've, they've, they've not been given the space to go i need healing here i need to get through this i need help i need counseling we need to educate whilst that's taking place i mean look at the the, the treatment of the gurkhas and, and even more like that where how many years did that yeah. take to be recognized as an actual apology from government you know so uh, i was doing a talk the uh, two years ago in new orleans and uh, i was challenging uh, essentially um white supremacy uh, in business particularly and, uh, and one of the, I was having a little bit of a, a semi rant about all types of social class differences, but I finished on the black issue because, because of its history, Debbie, it's 400 years of oppression. Um, it's going to take the same amount of time, hopefully a lot less, but potentially up to another hundred years for generations to grow through this, for it to be 
put behind the human race, to be put to one side, and for equality to be a new ecosystem tomorrow. But where I'm going with this, Leanne Derby, is government terms are short-term thinking, right? They're not legacy, right? They, they say they are, they're not. They're the term that they're in office, right? And the, I think the Queen gives us a really good clue about this because, you know, the royal family is famous for a 50-year view, if you believe television documentaries, right? That the firm takes a 50-year view. But I'm not saying it's, they're the only example, but that's the view this needs, that any leader in any government around the world has to get up in the morning and say yes to anything that moves this forward, even just by a point of a degree. That's how important this is, I think. And that's how long we've got to be committed for. Just a thought, a bit of a rant, really. I should have pressed your rant button, shouldn't I? I should have pressed my I should have pressed your rant button. They need to also acknowledge the mistakes that they've made. And, and you just have to think yeah. about Windrush. I cannot imagine how yeah. it must feel oh, yeah. to be a British citizen all of your life, to have been educated, worked, paid your taxes. And because somebody forgot about a policy, you'll suddenly become a pariah. You lose your job, you lose your home. You then try to send you back to a country that you didn't come from, your parents came from. I don't know what that does to a person. It, is, it destroys them. There's no getting over that, and there's no getting over that that was a brutal and racist uh, and totally damaging policy that they still haven't unraveled and stopped. It's still going on. Um, so that's what when people say I don't understand why people are angry this is happening in America yeah. it's happening here yeah. every day all of the time and, and I think um, in some ways it's more subtle here we're smarter at it the racism we're much smarter in America it's in your face yeah I think that's the only difference I think, I think we, we, we were talking about it earlier and I, I think we live in a western world where particularly from a Britain perspective it's often unseen uh, or it's often disguised as other things in the press. We were talking about some of the um, some of the great work done by families in London around around the the crime gangs, and how the the families of mothers and men and women are coming together to say we got to do something because the local society structure isn't doing enough or anything. And it's either or, isn't it? Not enough, very little, or nothing. But yeah, see, there's a there's a bigger point for me, and I know we debated this one a lot. Um, was around people have got to be more aware. They've yeah. got to understand yeah. that anger comes from you know, a historical element of my parents were abused, my grandparents were abused. Therefore, it's already in my family. It's this way I've been brought up. So I'm angry. I'm angry because you treat me differently because I look different than you, or vice versa. And I, you, so you can't suddenly turn, that's what I was saying about change and blame. It just seems so easy to blame what we see now, an angry person fighting against the system, but it's been going on. That is their life. That's how they've lived their life. So how do we expect them to suddenly be all nice and dandy and think everything's hunky-dory fine? And then the other part of that for me was, one of the things I talked to Dave about, was, which ties into everything, is, is the use of our language. Yeah. How we talk about people um, and how we use banter, which is one of my pain points in life, but how we 
undermine people and then we'll disguise it. So our changes, oh, I didn't really say that. What I meant was, no, you actually said this word, which is totally unacceptable. And also going back to that history piece in education, most people don't know where sayings come from. Yeah. And if you actually research them, they are all derogatory elements to a race or a minority. And that's how they become common language. So I think it's just, it scares me. Yeah, and, and Debbie, it really scares me. I, I, I don't know what you think either, Leah. I, I think we have to allow this Black Lives Matters. Black Lives. Black Lives Matters uh, to symbolise not just the current issue that we're debating, talking about, and what change with, but to let it have a second wave that it then becomes human acceptance. Because I don't think you can fix it all in one go. But I think if we had to, if we were to say, what's the number one? Th from my view today. What's the number one thing we've got to see through? We've got to bring an end to this one. And then actually, hopefully, by bringing an end to this one, we can start to bring an end to all of them. Um, you can't do all of them. You can do one really big one, get it right, and then apply the learnings and the lessons to, to everyone. Well, I think, Lee, you work in a hospice. So we're all, we're all born and we all die. It doesn't matter yeah. who I am, what I am, what I own, my status, I, the same emotional feeling is felt when I'm born to where the day I die. And, and I think if people can just get their head round that that's what a human being is, that we should respect, whether we, we don't have to like them, we don't even have to agree with them, but we respect that we are different, but we are still of the same kind. Yeah. And I think the sooner we can embrace that and just in, enjoy our differences, you know, the cultural lessons and knowledge and understanding, that's the bit I find really exciting about the change that we're in right now. I just want it to stay. I want it to stay. I know it's quite volatile right now, but like you said, anger's needed right now. Anger has to be released. Yeah. Like any, any emotional expression, it has to have somewhere to go. And it has to be, I think Lee, you just said a moment ago, different word, but the right intention is it has to be acknowledged. Yeah. So if you're listening to Double D New Business today thinking, oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> Light-hearted chat. Light-hearted chat, yeah. It, today we're talking about, again, major issues that are going on right now in the world at the point of this recording with Dr. Lee Valens from the uh, hospice in Bolton and a change maker herself. So let's move from where we've come from, Debbie and yep. Lee, and let's start to talk about what types of things can we do and what lessons should we learn in that process? Debbie. Well, for me, one of the things about um, going through a process of change is knowing that it's continuous. So therefore, it's not having an end goal. Mm. It's not having a quota to hit. It's not having a definitive, yes, this is my success. To me, it's about making a start and actually fundamentally having something that's tangible for everybody. And I think from we on a reflection of our LCEs, we're going to change our own business model to, to ensure that we stand for what we say we do. And I think that's that's the first element of change for me. Yeah, and we're busy working through so exactly how we want to do that, aren't yeah. we? So but it, but it's looking at we're looking at that from a what are, what are we accountable and responsible and what's within our control to do? Um, how, how how could you embrace this from your side? I know you're probably doing loads of things, Lee. Um, what type of things are important to you to help drive this through what you do? I think it's about having um, a really strong moral principle at the heart of it, that everything you do is, is for the positive good of everybody. And that you, you're mindful of the needs of everybody 
and, and to include as many people as you can. So I think so long as you have a, a, a positive um, approach to it, and I think perhaps one of the changes that have, has come about through COVID is we are all born under one sun and we're all vulnerable to this virus. And some of us, if you're black, Asian, minority, ethnic, are more vulnerable than others. Uh, so what are we going to do about that? So we've been very careful and conscious to, to do risk assessments that take on board the additional risks posed if you're from a, a black ethnic minority background. But also I think so long as what you're doing is for the right reasons, then change happens because you're reflecting and, and, and responding to the circumstances that are in front of you. Uh, and, and things, um, the relationship between me and my staff is much more um, open than it was before. It's much more responsive than it was before. Uh, I think that's because they've seen that I've had to take on quite a different role, um, which has really literally been um, protecting their health and well-being. Um, and, and they've seen me uh, in a daily struggle, making sure I've got the right equip equipment to protect them. So it, it, there are so many positive things to come out of this. I mean, you mentioned earlier about remote working. So I have half the staff team because um, we were set up. We, we hadn't um, switched it on, as it were, but we had the capability um, to make that happen, um, having meetings on Zoom. Although I have to say, sharing information on Zoom is a good thing. Decision-making on Zoom is very difficult. That's a very different um, dynamic, and I think it's really hard doing that virtually. So I think for me, the other part of change is, so looking at, because it hits everything. So this, I know we've just focused on, but I think one of the, we covered, this is what we covered in our preamble. Racism, COVID, Brexit, generational, non-hierarchical, collaborative, global, environment, environmental, and, and it's, it's huge, isn't it? But I, and I, I love the whole, we have to embrace positive intent for everybody. And I love that, that statement of everybody. You know, and I think that's really important. And if positive intent can still have a bad outcome. We know that. But if it's born of positive and it's born of I want to help, yeah, we might mess up and yeah, we might fail. But the other thing, I think, the other part of change is you've got to be really honest. And I don't think we're honest as a population or as a, as a, I bet our own history, <laughs> never mind. And I think that's the bit that we've got to get better at. We have to be honest. Honesty is really uncomfortable. And I don't think we're very good at being uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and you need to be able to say, do you know what? I didn't get that right. Do you know what? You're right. We need to do this differently. And that's not a weakness. That, that's a, hey, that was it. Didn't work. <laughs> Let's change it. But we've got, I just think we've got this wealth of examples that I historically, and I, I keep looking back on, you know, I can go back decades of our own work history. In a very short period of time, we all did that. We've all done it in some capacity, irrespective of how COVID affected you. So we know we can do it when we've been telling ourselves we can't do it. So I think it's also, you know, Dave does the, you know, delete the T, you know, it, we, we can sit on the can't, but we've got to focus on, we can do something. If it's just one person, you know, the arrow of one person is going to influence three other people, those three other people influence. And I think if we can get yeah. our heads around that, I think it's really exciting and it's very nervous and it's very uncomfortable, 
But I think that's what changes. I think all change should be that what, because what, that's where you grow. What if we repurpose the usage of the word change, right? Okay, so um, a couple of years ago, I wrote a blog that was entitled um, uh, The End of Change is Change Itself. So it was the death of change, okay. right? So the context was simple. When you're leading people, when you use the word change, there's so many presupposed responses, right? Yeah. So eliminating the word change means they don't have those responses. But in theory, what I'm proposing is change can be a strategic conversation at a board or a leadership team level. But if it's used, it means what you're talking about has got to be completely redesigned, right? It's, it's like the conversation we're having now. It needs to be redone completely, doesn't it? You know, that equality with Black Lives Matters. It needs a complete rethink, not do what we've done already. You know, we've, we've got to write it into policy. We've got to write it into everything every fabric of society. So that's what I mean by scale of change. If you're using the word, you're doing something that needs a complete rethink. It's not tweak, it is radicalization, right? alteration. Then the alternative is, the second view, is you use it after a change. So when you've led people for two years into an evolution, depending on a transformation, even a revolution, Debbie, Two years later, 24 months later, you look back and you say, wow, we've changed. You add the D to it. Double D, new business, you add the D. So you either use it to look, to look back and measure a significant amount of positive time, or you're going to use it to deal with a single thing that needs radicalized, completely torn up and start again. And for everything else, we just apply an evolution type thinking where you make small micro improvements. You celebrate, you do all the things we know that work. But I think this one needs complete rethinking. You've got to rebuild the car. Just a thought, what do you think, Debbie and Lee? Um, I think it's a big, big, huge thing. <laughs> I think what's in my head is um, children aren't born racist. No, they're not. We make them racist. We do. And that's what we have to tackle and everything around that, all the institutions, our approach to, to everything is fundamentally institutionally racist and it will take years and years and we have to keep pushing and we have to keep doing it. I totally agree. I had, I had the same conversation with my daughter and I just said to her, you know, as a parent, your role and responsibility is for your children to grow up and respect and see people with colour, with a colour, as the same as you. And I think, you know, I've always said to Dave about equality is always perceived as, well, you need hierarchy, you need, well, actually, I do believe you do. I need, I, I believe you need leaders. I believe we need workers. You know, think of ants, think of bees, you know, they're, but they're, what they do is they're not better by superiority. They're better through their own skill and competency of something that they've chosen to it focus on yeah. and I think that's the difference because I've got a big job doesn't mean I'm any better than the person who cleans the offices what it does mean is that my job is as important because without it that ecosystem collapses and I think that's the difference that old story that always comes up about NASA is the janitor and he gets told what do you do here and he says well I'm actually putting the man on the moon it is so true that's equality to me but the difference is that we don't talk like that we don't 
we don't work like that. We allow a hierarchical status to make us feel insecure and fearful, and and it shouldn't. You know, that's a sign of really bad leadership. And, and uh, you've made me realise that why is it that in the world of sport, right? Mm. Let's take football for example. Uh, football. Uh, somebody will score a goal for a football team, and that crowd, whichever team it is, goes wild, and nobody cares in that moment in time. Takes place in charities, Debbie. Takes place in churches, right? Uh, Faith-based uh, organisations around the world, where you know betting shops is another one, right? You'll see everybody under the sun in a betting shop, not caring who's who, right? So we already know how to do this. We have to do it in those micro moments to everything. Just a thought. Is that kind of your new addendum? Yeah, to, to everything. It's just just that's a right. thought. Yeah, that's right. Marinate is in all. Absolutely, absolutely. But you know, those examples, you've been to Old Trafford, right? When something yep. good happens, the whole stadium goes wild, like any top football club does. And in those moments, you see the great, the same game that has the same problems where there's unacceptable monkey chanting in grounds around, around, in Britain too, by the way. So let's not just go to a country that they're always into the news for it. It happens in Scotland, it happens in England, and it's not okay. So we, we, have, a, we have a responsibility as humans to find a way through this. So what's our summary of change? Well, because that's just, this is, I mean, this, we could do this for hours. Out yeah, we could. Once I think um, you have to, when things are wrong, you have to call it out and say it's wrong and I'm not having anything to do with that and um, focus on the positive and what's good and as I mentioned before about having if, if you've got the correct moral purpose then you may work on how you can deliver that and deliver it in a way that applies to, to everybody um, and and I'm, I'm very conscious that that you know, we're white talking about an issue that really we can only see from the outside that we don't, we don't have lived experience. So, you right. know, we have to say it's very, very white. Um, but it doesn't right, stop do. us yeah. calling it out. It doesn't stop us from supporting um, change and, and trying to, to, to make that change. So um, change is inevitable. Um, change is to be supported and um, to not change and stagnate is, is, is toxic and dangerous. I think my summary would be is change is a choice. And we can either choose to, to be part of it or choose not to be part of it. And, and I think we, we also have to accept, acknowledge and take some action around it. But I think for me, it's about that I, there is always going to be bad people in this world. That's a fact of life. You know, there's bad animals in the animal world. Um, but if we surround ourselves with the people with the same moralistic, same ethical views, the same value of human to human, that circle gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then the minority becomes the, the very small bit. And the small bit is what we unfortunately like to embellish. But the big part of us, most of the human beings on this planet are good. I genuinely believe that. I don't believe people wake up every day to be bad. So the, to me, change is choice. Make the right choices. So uh, my summary is, uh, black is a colour that's used to capture elitism. So the black Nando's card, if it exists, could be a myth and a legend. The black American Express card that can buy you anything on the planet. 
uh, even a brand we've been familiar with for concierge services has the word black involved in it. So how can the same word that captures proper capitalism, elitism, also have this other disparity in it? Um, I think it's the 13927, Debbie, which starts with one. That's the one, that's the <laughs> RO, right? Um, I don't know if they total them as the goalie. I just went with the simple numbers. It starts with you and it starts with me. And I want to finish with something Lee said, children are not born racist. And if we remember that truth, that super truth, it's so simple, then it points the arrow right at me. You know, my children are a shadow of what I am. And therefore the change I make in me has a broader reason to, because some of us aren't motivated the same way. We've got to find somebody else to do it for. And if that is your children, if that is your other half, it's making that change because children are not born with it. We teach them how to be like that. So wonderful subject today, Lee. Thank you for your time. Whether I like Yeah, that's right. Uh, this, this is very, very sobering. Thank you for embracing with us for Thanks, this. Um, for this. You're welcome. And, uh, you know, if you're listening to this and you want any help with that, do get in touch with us at info at rlc-global.com. Or if you want to get in touch with us to talk about things that you've gone through or faced, then by all means, please do that too, because we'd love to share real stories. And if you've done something that is incredible, that's created a small bit of change, we'd love to hear about that as well. We've been Double New Business, every success with your learning. You've been listening to the Double D Do Business Podcast, brought to you by RLC and sponsored by CoachPad, the coaching tool built for you by coaches for coaches. If you would like any assistance or help for what you've heard today, please feel free to get in touch with us at info at rlc-global.com. That's info at rlc-global.com and we would be delighted to hear from you. Wishing you every success with your learning.